welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we have a little fun with Global News anchor Kevin Hirschfield because he's a Chargers fan. I'm a Vikings fan. They're playing each other on Sunday. He's going to be there. We'll commiserate about our teams never winning anything. Also, Diana Matheson leading a charge to have a pro women's soccer league in Canada. How is that effort going? We'll talk to the former member of the Canadian women's national team on the podcast. We welcome in a man who is going to Minnesota on Sunday. Actually, he's leaving tomorrow. That's why we're doing this tonight. <laughs> that is Global News anchor Kevin Hirschfield. You are an L.A. Chargers fan. Correct. First of all, before we get into smack-talking each other, <laughs> I have to know how someone from Manitoba yeah. becomes a San Diego Chargers fan. Yeah, I get the question a lot. So... 20 years ago, when I became a fan for the first time of the Chargers, I didn't have a team when I was growing up. And it turns out my mom's cousin, Ken Derrett, if the Derretts are listening out there, hello, I haven't spoken with them a bit. Ken Derrett uh, was their vice president of marketing for the Chargers for a number of years. So he got that job in about, I think it was 2000, 2001. So this is when I didn't have a team. So I just said, well, I got a relative who's on who's working for the Chargers, so I may as well cheer for them. So it wasn't a bandwagon jump, uh, Ladanian Tomlinson bandwagon jumps, like some figure when the Chargers got really good there in the mid-2000s. This was just for family reasons. And do I regret the decision? Well, I, I, I have a few more gray hairs, I think, now than I probably would have, but... Um, it's been a ride covering the, or following the Chargers here for about 20 years now. So that's where it all started. It's all family reasons. And so he, did they send you swag? Uh, yeah, initially. I wouldn't say I'm super tight with them, but I remember getting a toque, early 2000s toque there. I remember how the Chargers logo looked. So uh, nothing like that. I think I got a few posters and stuff, but um, yeah, that's where it all started. So, And here we are now going to uh, Minneapolis to watch them live for the second time. Okay. The last time I watched them live was eight years ago, 2015. The last time they were in Minneapolis and... It still stings. Vikings won by 17 points, 31-14, but it wasn't that close. The game was more lopsided than the final score. I have visions of Adrian Peterson. Well, two times ago. <laughs> I have visions of Adrian Peterson. We were sitting in one of the end zones. Adrian Peterson running at me okay, untouched into the end zone. It well, was like a 50-yard run or whatever. Well, it's not like two Terrible visits memories. ago when he ran for 296 yards. I remember watching that <laughs> at home, the record. I, I did too. Yeah, I remember watching that. They don't have a very good record against the Vikings. I only remember one win in my life in my fandom against the Vikings. So well, They don't play very much. They do, they do not, but... Um, yeah, they don't have a very good record. So here we go. So 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 I this is the worst case scenario. As a fan, 0 and 2, we were we've been talking all week. This is a must-win game for I've, for both yeah, teams. The loser of this game I think's cooked. So 0 and 3. I really don't want to believe that, but like more probable than not you're right. So this is the worst case scenario. This is exactly what I didn't want. You know, I want to at least try and enjoy the game. I don't get to see my team very often. This is only the second time I've seen them in my life. Yeah. And now I'm going to be sitting on pins and needles stressed out because they need this game big time. And as I have been talking to you over the last week here, wasn't feeling very good of desperate Vikings team at home. Didn't like the Chargers odds. I've talked myself into the Chargers a little bit over the week here. Okay. You're, you're, I mean, <laughs> if you're making this, are you, are you driving or flying? Yeah, we're driving. Okay. So if you're making the seven hour drive to Minneapolis, you want to go with some hope because you don't want to be dreading the yeah. whole time. You, you spent the money to go to this game and 
let's face it, they have a lot of talent. Yep. They've they could be two and zero. They the, should be. Yes, the Vikings should be one and one. Let's be real; they weren't going to beat the Eagles, but they should have beat the Bucks. You were there. Deep in Tennessee territory, you settle for a field goal, you win, you lose in overtime, and then week one, Miami's good. I, it appears that way, and it was but, really one guy, two guys, uh, two on Tyreek, I guess, but, you know, they did so many good things in that game. They ran the ball for 200-plus yards. Of course, their starting running back is out now. It doesn't look like he's going to play Sunday, so that's ooh, a problem. Uh-huh. So It's all on Justin Herbert. Just these little mistakes in each game, and that's the story of the Chargers the last decade. They're, they charged they're, another one. Well, they, that's their whole history. <laughs> and I don't know how it keeps happening, but I'm just looking at these pauses in each game, and I think they can bring it together. Um a stat I brought up to you earlier in the week. Apparently, they're the first team in NFL history who scored 50 points, at least 50 points in the first two weeks, uh-huh. and hasn't turned the ball over once, and they've lost both games. They're the first team to have both those numbers and go 0-2. Oh, boy. So what more can... So they're luck due. Ha- luck, exactly. Luck has to be on their side, you would think, at some point. Here's another thing, too. Here's why I'm feeling kind of confident. Brandon Staley, head coach of the Chargers, him and current Vikings coach Kevin O'Connell used to work together in L.A. Yep, with uh, the Rams. O'Connell was the Rams O.C., Staley was the Rams D.C. So they know each other very well. I mean, you could make this argument for O'Connell, I guess, but I feel like Brandon Staley knows a little bit more about Kevin O'Connell's strategy offense than maybe he would about another coach. Fair enough. They're best buds, apparently, according to Staley. He called him in a press conference yesterday. He said... Kevin's like a brother to me. Well, they homeschool their kids together, <laughs> apparently, in 2020 oh, oh, during so the COVID year. So I feel Staley has a little, maybe, hopefully, an advantage there. And But we all know what's going to happen. There's going to be something goofy. All These teams play goofy games all the time. Which means it's going to be like 2017 and nothing odd's going to happen. Because everyone's <laughs> expecting weird, dumb things. Yes. These two franchises have been haunted by weird moments and bad kicking and just weird inopportune things happening at the worst times. Philip Rivers tearing up his knee in their best playoff run, that kind of thing. But uh, I just want to let you know, John McTavish, a fan, has just texted in. Bolt up. Kevin is not alone here. Johnny. In MB. Years and Johnny years of Mack. heartbreak as a Chargers fan. No doubt about that. Uh, because, uh, and let's face it, both these teams have not won a Super Bowl. No. Minnesota hasn't been to one in a long time. I think San Diego's been to one. I mean, during... The 20 years that I've cheered for them, they've only been to one AFC championship. And that's the oh, one you seven. just, you just yep. talked about, Philip Rivers. What a performance on a torn ACL, by the way. I will defend Philip Rivers to my grave. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't want to hear anyone else say. 94 Super Bowl. They lost to the Niners 49-26. Yeah, I, I was three years old. So. Yeah, okay, that was before your time. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I'm... I'm not sure ever what to expect with with the Vikings. Yeah. There there are just you mentioned you think that the Chargers are bad against the Vikings. They have lost three in a row yep. and four of their last five yep. dating back to 2007, six and eight all time against the Vikings dating back to 1971. But I I agree that this this feels like a game that the Chargers are probably the slight favorite in. I, the Vegas says they are. Uh, it's been a pick 'em, which means the home team is is undervalued a little bit. Yeah. Kirk Cousins has been really good. The defense has been okay, but they just turned the ball over so much. Like yeah. that Eagles game was rough. They would go out and trade for Cam Akers, just left off the scrap heap by the the Rams, but Kevin O'Connell's worked with him before. So I'm uh, hope is a word I don't think either of us use a lot. We're very <laughs> careful with being hopeful with our teams. I think Vikings and Chargers fans are very close to to, and connected, even though they never play, because it's almost like they're the AFC Vikings. 
I've heard that before. I absolutely agree with it. Often quite good, getting in their own way, literally no history of success in terms of championships and just heartbreaking ways of losing or getting just steamrolled in the playoffs. One of the two. I don't know why we keep doing it, man. Like, like last year, obviously was an all timer for you. I, and I, I remember it was 27, nothing Jacksonville scores that first touchdown late in the first half. And I, I just knew it. I knew something bad was going to happen. And you just have that sense of dread. Both these games that they've played this year, the Chargers, they've had leads in both of them, and a lead is just never safe with these guys. Like no, no matter the coach or the quarterback or the players, it just carries over from coaching staff to coaching staff to roster to roster. It's just, it's just this curse that just doesn't want to be broken. And I'll get so, you out of here on yeah. this. Then, if you're driving home. Ugh. After a loss on Sunday, my wife in the front, my wife who does not, does not like football to begin with. I had to kind of talk her into coming, but she bless her heart. Very nice coming on this trip with me. And we'll have a lot of fun on Friday and Saturday doing things around the city. But yeah, work Monday. I do. Oh boy. It's going to, if it's a, if it's a heartbreaking loss and then I have to drive home seven hours. Yeah. Well, I can't, I, I, I can't really <laughs> say what's going to happen. Well, I look forward to seeing you on Monday. Whatever happens, uh, we'll be, we'll be civil with each other. I should be in. We'll see how bad the loss is. Yeah. But. If, if they lose then we, and we, Marnie's hosting the 10 o'clock on Monday. We'll know why. <laughs> Kevin, thanks for this. And uh, we'll see you, Thank we'll you. See you next week. All right. Kevin Hirschfield, global news anchor. You'll hear him coming up at eight 30 and perhaps on the show Monday crying. I don't know. We'll see what happens. There's been a lot of attention on women's sports recently with the launch of the Professional Women's Hockey League. We've cities and GMs and head coaches and free agent signings. There's been a draft. Busy couple of months for the PWHL, and it'll stay busy going forward into training camp in November and the start of the season in January. We also need team nicknames at some point, too. But what about women's soccer in our country? It's a very popular sport, high level of participation. And we've done really well internationally, at least at the Olympics with a gold and two bronze medals over the past three games. World Cup, nah, not so much. But after the games are done, there's not really anywhere in our country to see top women's soccer players. But there's a plan in the works to change that. Project 8 is the name of the group pushing to have a pro women's soccer league in Canada to launch in 2025. They have three teams already in Toronto, Vancouver, and Calgary. They want eight by the time it's all said and done. It's led by former national team player Diana Matheson. And I caught up with the co-founder and CEO of Project 8 earlier today. Let's just start with where things sit right now with Project 8. Uh, are you getting close to announcing any more team locations? Hi, Christian. Thanks for having me. That's a great question. Uh, there is an announcement pending in the background, but I got no firm details for you that. We're going to keep that one close to the chest. Um, but yeah, things are great at Project 8. Uh, we've announced three teams, as you know, uh, we're looking to sell up to eight markets. We've got a few left to sell here. Uh, we're working on the league name and branding behind the scenes. So that's pretty exciting. We'll look to launch that next year. And, you know, we're, we're working on the very exciting work of, uh, governance. So lots going on. Is it helpful from your end that you said, all right, we're going to take a number of years to get this going as opposed to it's September. Let's start in February. Yes, absolutely. I think the timeline was as quick as we could do it, but do it well. You know, building a league is a a big lift. Uh, 
uh, absolutely. We're watching in awe as women hockey, women's hockey does it in a much shorter timeline, but they're crushing it so far. Their draft on Monday was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, we wanted to, we've only got one shot to launch women's pro soccer in Canada. So we thought the, the timeline we built over two years was enough to build the league, sell the teams, uh, build the teams, and then kick off the year before the FIFA World Cup comes to Canada. Why do you think this will work? Uh, it's, it's, oh gosh, that is such a great question. I don't even know where to start with that one. And it's hard in Canada because, you know, we don't do that many pro leagues that are just Canadian. Uh, soccer specifically has failed a couple times in the past. Women's sport in general, you know, there's been so so many myths and biases in the past. All women's sport doesn't make money. Women's sport, you know, no one watches it. The reality is women's professional sport, women's professional soccer is a very new industry. It's really only been around since the 90s. It's growing rapidly. The last two years even have been incredible growth in the game. And in Canada, we're such an incredible market. We have the third largest player pool in the world for girls and women in soccer. We have a country that has positive attitudes towards women in sport, which we take for granted here, but isn't the case around the world. Uh, and we have, and, and we're world-class at women's sport. You know, Canada can compete and have one of the best leagues in the world when it comes to women's soccer. That and the timing is right. Corporate Canada is is investing in this project like never before. Also, we're able to make the case that this is a professional sport investment. Owners buy in in year one uh, and they earn a return on their investment, same as in men's sport. You know, owners in the NWSL, the league in the U.S., bought in in 2012 for 50000 now their franchises are, are valued between $35 million and $100 million. So it's the same case here in Canada. You buy in now and you watch the value of your franchise grow. You mentioned the NWSL, which launched in 2012 in the States. It has 12 teams and it's looking to grow as well. It's adding more coming forward in the future. How much do you look at what they've done and not necessarily model what you're doing mm-hmm. after it, but learn from what they've done? Yeah, we looked all around the world uh, to women's soccer leagues, to other sport leagues, to leagues here in North America, the NWSL absolutely being one of them, uh, to see how women's pro soccer started, what revenues were there, what they got right, what they got wrong, and we applied that to Canada. Uh, and people in women's sport are fantastic. I know I can call up anyone, uh, and they're happy to talk and, and help grow the game, so the NWSL is part of that. I've spoken to the owners who helped build the thing. I've spoken to Jessica Berman, who's running the league now. Uh, women's soccer is always there to support each other. So we've taken a lot of, of what they and other leagues have done and learned from it. And what about looking at the Canadian Premier League, which itself, I mean, men's soccer having a league in this country, it's only in its fifth season. It's pretty young still, too. Uh, how do you look at what they've done and and learn about what market is out there for soccer, pro soccer in this country? Yeah, they've been a great example as well. And, and we spoke to people in that league from day one due to see what learnings they've had uh, building in Canada. And I think one of the best things they've done is invest in infrastructure in this country. Um, and that's something we're going to look to do as well. And I think a huge area of, of partnership between our league and theirs. Uh, and then, you know, go from there. I think uh, lots to learn from their case too. And then obviously the closest example in Canada. Do you anticipate, and it's probably too hard to say, but do you anticipate being able to maybe share stadiums with teams in the CPL? 
Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. We know in Canada, soccer infrastructure is a challenge. You know, we're newer to soccer in Canada than the rest of the world. So we just don't have the soccer specific infrastructure that the rest of the world has. And like I said, CPL has done an incredible job building soccer specific. So I think absolutely looking to, to share possible stadiums in markets, looking to invest in existing structures. Uh, that's going to be a huge area where we can impact you with this Women's Pro League. Can we get FIFA 2026 funding into soccer infrastructure in Canada? We're really going to push for government support to invest in soccer infrastructure as well. So I think that's an impact we can look to make as well. I think what one thing I've noticed from the CPL is that this kind of smaller, more intimate setups work really well compared to what we've seen in Winnipeg where they're playing where the Bombers do and it's it looks pretty empty, but if you had it in a quaint little stadium, it might be pretty packed. So is that something you're looking at too, to maybe have smaller setups to make sure that it it has a more big league feel to it? Yeah, absolutely. That's, a, that's something we saw in the CBL. It's something we saw in the NWSL too. Ideally for us, we're in a six to 10,000 seat stadium uh, and, and look to grow as we build. But that said, you know, some markets are going to be in an existing infrastructure in the short term. And in, in Winnipeg, you've got a, a great place to play there um, that exists, which isn't even the case in other markets. So for us in Canada, it's case by case, but we're absolutely going to be looking to have uh, the right size home for all our teams in the long term. Can you say if Winnipeg's even at all on the radar? Uh, Winnipeg is on my radar. Uh, we would love to kick off with a team in Winnipeg. We've, we have a few conversations going in market. We think it would be a fantastic team to play. We're looking to add another team in the West, at least one more team in the West. So, yeah, I mean, if anyone, we're looking to lock up all our conversations by the end of the year. So if, if someone's interested in bringing a women's pro soccer team uh, to Winnipeg, now's the time. Cause that's, uh, that's what we're working on. So, Absolutely. I mean, home of Desiree Scott. Uh, I think it's a, a fantastic market for soccer and sky's the limit once we have the top of the, the pyramid there with women's pro soccer. Did you play in the pre-tournament game here in 2015? I, I was there. Uh, I was coming back from an injury leading up to 2015. So I was in stadium. I didn't play in the game, but I was, uh, I was there with the team uh, and it was an unbelievable atmosphere. Uh, I think that's a uh, be a great place to watch women's pro soccer in the future. Well, we'll see what happens there. What was it like for you being retired now, watching the World Cup from home? Oh, I mean, it's always hard, and obviously this year was uh, was particularly hard because Canada was out obviously a lot sooner than any of us wanted. Um, but it's, I mean, it's it's a gift. I still get to work in the game. I knew when I retired, I wanted to to stay in the game and, and help develop the women's pro game in, in Canada somehow. So it's, it's obviously a heavy lift and, you know, I'm, I'm grinding right now every day, but it's such a pleasure to be working on uh, a project that has such potential and in the game I love. So anytime you can work on a game for a living, you're, you're pretty lucky. Do you think having a pro league in Canada would help our successes internationally? Yes, absolutely. And the reality is if we want to keep competing at the top level of the international game, which is what we've been doing for the last you know, 15 years, we have to have our own pro league. That's, that's where the investment has gone internationally over the last 10, 15 years is into a domestic league. That's how you really develop you know, professional quality players, international quality players. 
And right now, you know, as I said, third largest player pool in the world for girls in women's soccer, but you know, a third of girls in sport drop out in adolescence because there aren't pathways and there aren't places for them. Um, and that needs to shift. And we were the only team in the Women's World Cup this year, aside from Haiti, out of 32 teams that doesn't have a pro league. So, you know, we, we're in Canada, we're looking around, we think it's normal to not have a women's pro league. It's not. We're, we're behind, uh, and that's, that's what we're changing here. We're finding the people that want to change that, uh, and that's the key to Canada performing and winning World Cups in the future. So are most of our players right now playing in the NWSL in, in Europe? Yeah, the, the pathway for Canadians, you know, historically, and it's still the same, kids grow up playing in Canada, and then most of us in women's soccer, when we get to university, we head down to the U.S., uh, we play in the NCAA, and then we spend the remainder of our careers abroad. So, you know, there's typically half the players are playing in the U.S., and half the players are playing in Europe. There's the odd other player in Asia or Australia. We're, we're spread out around the world making a living. There's there's over 125 Canadians right now on pro contracts abroad. Um, so there's there's the players out there, and we're aiming to keep our talent in Canada because we, again, we're world-class at women's soccer and in the women's sport industry, and uh, we're going we're gonna to have those people stay in Canada and, and inspire the next generation. So what do the next 12 months look like for Project 8? Uh, priorities for us, like I said, the very exciting governance is going on, uh, branding, uh, selling and announcing the remainder of our teams. Uh, and then next year is really focused on building our clubs uh, and, and marketing this league and raising awareness through next year, leading to a kickoff in the spring of 2025. The Olympics next year... Uh, every time we have the Olympics and World Cup, it, it boosts the visibility yeah. of women's sport in various sports, soccer and hockey, especially in this country. Uh, how much do you think that Olympic performance by Canada coming up, coming off a gold medal, how much does that boost the push going into the season in 2025? Because we always know when mm-hmm. we have the eyeballs on the Olympics, a lot more people are caring and then it kind of fizzles out because there's kind of nowhere else to go from there, right? at least right now. And yeah. you're trying to change that. Yeah, and the gold medal in Tokyo absolutely gave the, the boost we needed to, to kickstart the forming of this league. Uh, I would absolutely love a repeat next year in Paris. I think that would be an incredible lead up to 2025. Uh, so that's what I'll be looking for. Um, and, and we've got a great calendar of events kind of leading into the first few years. As you said, there's always a boost from Olympic Games. There's a boost from a Women's World Cup to pro leagues. You always see a rise in viewership and a rise in attendance for women's pro leagues around the world following the Women's World Cup. And we kick off in 25. We've got a World Cup in Canada on the men's side in 2026. So all eyes on soccer. 2027 is another Women's World Cup, and 2028 is another Olympic Games, this time in North America. So more of a home games for us. So really great first four years for us to kick off this league. Well, Diana, wish you the best of luck with all this. Maybe we'll see a team in Winnipeg sometime in the future, and uh, thanks for joining me here tonight. Let's do it. You know, it's it's folks like us who are just making this thing happen. So uh, Winnipeg, let's go. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. 
We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. Soon.